Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And welcome into another episode of Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. We are coming to you late in the evening following the Phillies' uh, heartbreaking 7-6 to loss to the Los Angeles Dodgers in the first of the three-game Chase Utley goodbye uh, down at Citizens Bank Park. Uh, this is Anthony Sanfilippo, your host, uh, at Ant San Philly on Twitter, along with Crossing Broad Phillies writer Bob Wankel at BW Crossing Broad. And we were both down at the game today. Uh, Bob and I got together for a pregame beverage in the parking lot. He was all decked out in his uh, Mitch Walding jersey. <laughs> it was yeah. number 29, right? Yeah, yeah, Mitch Walding. The future. The present and the future, <laughs> Mitch Walding. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so uh, we were both down there for the game, and, and you know, in fairness, it was an in, it was a fun game. I mean, it was frustrating because they lost seven six to the Dodgers, um, and there were a lot of frustrating things that happened within the game. Um, we were texting the whole time uh, during the game as well, and so there were a lot of you know certain things that just drove me nuts. I'm sure there were things that drove you nuts, but on the whole, to be fair, it you know seven to six game with eight home runs and. You know, nip and tuck most of the way. I mean, that that's pretty pretty good time, especially in front of you know thirty three thousand some odd fans. Um, so it was a it was an interesting night. But boy, oh boy, yeah, it's games like this where you sit there and say, yeah, they should they should have won. They should have you know, won. You know how long that game was tonight? Do you it do was, you know what the time of game was? I, I don't know the exact number, but I know it was three like four, hours yeah, was and forty three minutes. Yeah. And you know I love baseball. We wouldn't be doing this show, you know, if we didn't love baseball. I felt like that game was seven and a half hours long tonight. <laughs> I, I don't know if it – I don't know what it was, man. 20 combined strikeouts between the two teams, 12 of them were Phillies batters. Um, you know, I, I know it was a back-and-forth game, a lot of action, I, I guess, comparatively to what a lot of Phillies games look like. I, I couldn't wait to get out of there in the ninth inning. And I will admit this on the show, and I know that this is like the cardinal sin, the ultimate violation, but when they fell behind in the ninth inning, I said, okay, I'm good. And uh, I was in my car when I saw the bell ringing uh, from Michael Franco's home run. I was getting on the Walt Whitman Bridge, and my friend says, I think that they're about to hit a home run here. And uh, the radio was on a little bit of a delay. And then, poof, you know, 10 seconds later, it's a Michael Franco ninth inning home run. I-, I couldn't wait to get the hell out of there. I-, I, don't- I was completely spent. I feel like I need another all-star break after watching that game tonight. I, I just... I don't know what it is. I, I look at this and I'm just exasperated with this team. And I know that it's unfair. I know they're 55 and 44. They're tied for first place in the NL East with the Atlanta Braves who won tonight. And they're still six games ahead of the Washington Nationals. They're still a week before the trade deadline. There's things that they can do and we'll talk about it. I just feel, 
I don't know. I have like Phillies fatigue right now, and I know it's a really weird time of the year to have that, especially coming out of the All-Star break. This team's starting to grind on me a little bit, and and we'll get into that tonight because if if you want to hear about how great the Phillies are and how awesome everything is, then go listen to go listen to WIP's baseball podcast. Go listen to some of the other guys on the radio right now that'll piss positive about where this team's at. I am I got to be honest with you. Like I feel, I know that I'm the extreme opposite, but I'm I'm pretty down on them right now. I, I really am, and I'm going to need you to to kind of bring me back a little bit tonight. I think. Uh, yeah, you're not going to get that help from me tonight, but I will help you in this way. Here's what I'll, here's how I'll help you, Bob. I'll tell you why you feel that way. Will that be good enough? Well, at least you know you're trying to understand it. If I maybe if I can explain to you why you're feeling down on them right now and why they're so frustrating to you right now, even though they're 11 games over 500 and tied for first place, if I give you a good enough explanation, will that at least make it make you feel a little bit better? Sure, please try. Okay, here's what it is: because the team has exceeded expectations to this point, and because we find them in first place, and and you know. 11 games over 500. It, it took a while, but the city finally caught on that, hey, there's a, it's a little bit of excitement with the baseball team. And so now everything that you hear and, and read or f- follow on social media is all positive about the Phillies. And everybody's jumping on the bandwagon again. Oh, this is going to be great. No, isn't everything wonderful? And whatever's been going on must be awesome. But none of these people, I shouldn't say none, a majority of these people are not have not been paying attention since day one. However, folks like you and I are watching every game, and, and we're the, sitting. And here. the people that are listening to this show, I assume, are, are watching most of the games most as well. Of the games. So I would think that yeah. the people that are tuning into a Phillies podcast, and, and you know, certainly returning listeners, have, have probably been on board for quite some time now. So I, I don't know that we're. I don't think we're speaking to people that don't quite get it. Right. Right. Um, no, no. But, just, I, but, but I think that that's where the fatigue comes from, because you're you're seeing a different game than the casual fan is. The casual fan is all excited and everything's fantastic. And, you know, you're you're having smoke blown up your rear end by people telling you on, you know, on radio or you know on other podcasts or even on TV um, that this is great. This is awesome. Get excited. The Phillies are good again. And. And while I'm not sitting here telling fans that they shouldn't be excited about the team or shouldn't be interested in the team, I'm I'm here to be a little bit more sobering to say let's let's not just put all our eggs in the basket just yet. Let's let's analyze what's going on with this team. And you see so many flaws, and you know you and I see so many flaws, and we can point them out. And it's it's almost like a broken record when we say what they are, and so that makes us seem negative. And it makes us be like, oh, here we go again. The same old, same old is happening again. And if on the and most casual fans don't see that. And I think that that's why people like you and I get frustrated and people like you and I find that fatigue with a first-place team. And, and how did they get there? You know, how did they get to this point? Well, they, they got there through starting pitching. And now three of the first four games post-All-Star break, they haven't gotten that starting pitching with, with – the exception of what Vince Velasquez did in the second game of the doubleheader on Sunday afternoon. But uh, Jake Arrieta uh, laid a dud, you know, total dud on Friday night. Uh, Nick Pavetta, shaky at best uh, in game one of the doubleheader. 
Um, and, and then, you know, Zach Eflin gave you absolutely nothing tonight. Now, I do understand that some of these guys, in addition to being out for the All-Star break, you know, Eflin hadn't pitched since July 9th. It had been two full weeks since he had, had taken the mound for the Phillies. And so I, I'm not down on these guys. I'm not telling you that Jake Arrieta is, is bound to have a disastrous second half. I'm not going to tell you that Nick Pavetta, who we've been high on all year, who, who has admittedly been shaky the last six weeks or so now, um, I, I'm not telling you that he's, he's destined for failure, that Zach Eflin, you know, is going to turn into a pumpkin and it was a mirage what he did back in June. I'm not there. And I, I really, I just think that you, th- this starting rotation deserves some slack. I think they deserve some wiggle room before we get critical of what they've done. But the first few times out here after the All-Star break, it hasn't been particularly encouraging. And the thing that, it, that kills me, and, and you said it, you know, we've been watching this for a while now. And what we saw tonight was a lot of what we have seen throughout the course of the year, with the exception of the pop. I mean, they hit four home runs tonight. That was encouraging. But again, 12 more strikeouts. Uh, they struck out 20 combined times in the two games yesterday, so that's 32 combined, or 32 total strikeouts in a three-game stretch uh, over the last couple days here. They came into today hitting 236 as a team, which was 26th overall in baseball, 390 slugging percentage, 24th in baseball, striking out in a quarter of their plate appearances, which is the third highest K rate in baseball defense is absolutely atrocious if you believe defensive metrics negative 68 defensive runs saved as a team according to fan third worst in baseball they just completed a five and five stretch against the Mets Marlins and Padres teams that have a 415 win percentage this year the catchers 13 pass balls entering tonight, leads the National League, 50 wild pitches, second most in the National League, and you see Jorge Alfaro, just, you know, it was a, a tough play, I guess, but a ball that he should have caught, and it cost him the go-ahead to run in the over. ninth inning tonight, and this is the thing, man, I almost feel like, I was I was about to call you and say, I need I need some time because I'm going to come on there and I'm going to sound like a whiny, irrational, you know, overreaction. You know, I, I just and I know it and I can't help it because I've seen these damn flaws now for weeks and weeks and weeks and they keep winning in spite of them. And it's awesome. And I'm all about it. And I'm excited where they're at with, you know, 63 games left to go now in the season. But Jesus Christ, it is it is a tough watch with this team day in, day out for a first-place team. And I'm sorry, maybe that makes me irrational, maybe that makes me seem ungrateful, uh, overly negative. I don't even know that I would want to listen to me, uh, considering where this team's at in the standings and how I feel about them right now. But my God. No, Bob, it, people want to listen to you, and, and people ought to listen to you, because you're you're giving them the straight dope here. The problem is, is that we're letting the team dictate the narrative, okay? I mean, I'll give you an example. Matt Klintak over the weekend does an interview with the media, and what does he say? Well, our lineup, we have six guys with an OPS plus, you know, above average. Yeah, above uh, 100. OPS plus is just the OPS against the league average at that position. Yeah. And so, you know, they have six of their eight guys in the starting lineup with an OPS plus over 100, and that that's that's okay. You can tell everyone why that's that's a flawed flawed line of logic <laughs> if you'd like it, well i mean it, it, the flawed line of logic is very simple the name of the game is to score runs and they don't score runs yeah. the name of the game is to get on is to you know to hit and they don't hit i mean that's it's pretty cut and dry yeah okay so they're they're above the league average but like four of the six guys are barely above the league average 
right? They're only like five percentage points above the league average. So you're you're basically sitting there saying we're getting by with like two guys who are hitting and four guys who are right around average, and then two guys who are way below average. And that's good enough because our starting pitching has been good enough. So they say that, okay? And then they say things like like the manager says after the game today, well, you know, our, our bullpen was really strong for us tonight. Okay, they gave up four runs in six innings. What, is that, what does that equate to for an ERA? I don't know. Four runs in six innings, I don't think is all that good. Okay? Yeah, they had entered tonight with a, a 2-5-3 ERA in July, which was best which in the best National in all, League. Yep, yeah. Yep, you know, I so, actually, I think it was best in all of in, It in might have been leagues. best in baseball. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, been. up until tonight, things had been okay. But, you know, tonight it didn't go well. And, again, it was Tommy Hunter. Um, and, and you know what was funny? There were some people that were kind of coming to Tommy Hunter's defense tonight. They said, well, you know, Williams kind of misplayed the ball. He turned it into a triple. Herrera didn't make a great throw from center field. And, like, that's all true. But when a guy consistently performs well or does his job, I'll say, you know, hey, things happen. My thing is, like, the guy – the guy hasn't done it, you know. The teams are scoring off of him in, like, roughly 35% of his appearances this year. He hasn't done it all year. So, like, I don't have it in me to kind of take a deep breath and say, yeah, you know, you kind of got unlucky tonight. Like, I'm tired of talking about luck with Tommy Hunter. At some point, go out, don't give up an extra base hit, and just do the damn job and throw a zero up. And the guy just doesn't do it. Yeah. But, uh, but this is the point that I'm making. So, so the team is kind of feeding you these, these lines – and then they're parroted by people. Like, if you listen to the post-game show right now on WIP, I was listening to it on the way home, wanting to throw up out my window as I was driving because it was making me so ill to listen to, to nonsense. And it was, just, it was just parroted back that, oh, well, you know, the bullpen pitched well. Tommy Hunter actually was pretty good tonight. Was he? Was he? I don't know. He gave up two hits and a run, and gave, they blew the blew the save. Is that is that a good outing by a relief pitcher? I don't think it is. Maybe somebody else does. I certainly don't. I certainly don't think Yaxel Rios was the you know was a the God's gift to, to saving Zach Eflin's terrible start. He gave up a home run. He gave up a solo home run to John. Yeah, now the only thing that he did was he was a guy that just arrived today again you know or yesterday for the yeah. doubleheader they, they right. stick him on the back end of the roster tonight and you know he, he gives you what two and a third I believe yeah. that was the only hit he allowed so I mean he at least kept them afloat he, he yeah. kind of kept no, them he, in he, it he for, for Hoskins and Herrera to pop the home runs in the fifth and, and actually temporarily give the Phillies the lead in this game um, so I mean I'll give him a little bit of credit and and Austin Davis continues to do a nice job. He threw a yeah. scoreless inning tonight. I mean, there were some redeeming things there. It That's actually a guy. To... He's, he's actually a guy I'd like to talk about positively. Yeah. yeah. And to be honest with you, I mean, maybe maybe they found their left-handed reliever. Yeah. yeah. Austin Davis has done some really nice work since he's been called since he's been called up. Um, I really like him a lot, but I, I, let's stay negative for a while yeah, before we get to the positive. Stay on the negative train here, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and Sir Anthony Dominguez, I actually thought it was smart uh, yesterday at the end of the second game when Kapler went to Dominguez to get the final out. Uh, it was 5 nothing, nobody on base, two outs in the ninth. Um, San Diego had no chance of coming back in that game, and Adam Morgan had gotten a, a quick two outs in the ninth, and they went to Dominguez, and I know a lot of people kind of rolled their eyes there at that move. I figured, you know, actually, that's that's not bad. I mean, he had not thrown since July 12th at Baltimore. Um, so he had kind of been closing in on on roughly 11 days since his last appearance. And I kind of thought it was a, a smart idea uh, by Kapler to kind of get his feet wet. And I thought, you know, hey, you get him back on the mound, kind of get him back reacclimated to pitching in major league games. 
and uh, that did not pay dividends tonight. Um, he was, uh, but it was by far his his worst appearance as a major league pitcher. Um, he only lasted a third of an inning. He allowed a hit, uh, three walks, and like we said, the uh, wild pitch um, that that scored the go ahead and run in the ninth. So uh, you know he he did struggle. I, again, I don't have it in me to to, to really harp on on Sir Anthony Dominguez's rough outing tonight. I mean that is going to happen but you get into these high stakes games it's a national league showdown two first place teams a lot of energy in the building for various reasons tonight and um you, you get that lead and your offense finally kind of does your solid and get you back out in front and and then you just can't hold on to it and it, it was just a very frustrating game uh if you went yeah. down there and you wanted to clap your hands together for chase Utley and, and feel sentimental and nostalgic that was that's great and if, if you hope that you know by politely golf clapping for Manny Machado that that would somehow make him want to come here this winter and and you feel satisfied about that then that's wonderful too but if you're looking at this team as a team that that is going to play meaningful competitive games down the stretch uh, this is a game they have to win tonight and uh, they just they just didn't get it done and so uh, I'm not as as rosy as as everybody else right now and I understand that I'm tough and and probably a little bit overly demanding and and perhaps even unrealistic at times but uh, I was very very disheartened with that game tonight and if you came away thinking that, well, you know, hey, the Phillies went toe-to-toe with one of the NL's best. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I just, I'm not there on that. I, I, you can, too, be one of the National League's best. And if you have the lead in the middle innings, figure it out. You know, and, and one of the things that they ran into tonight was they did a great job against Ralph Stripling, who's an all-star, came into the game with an ERA of just over two, and they knock him out of the game in the fifth. Uh, you know, Hoskins and Herrera, like we said, go back-to-back. They take a quick lead, kind of stun Stripling, I thought. And then they get to the uh, Dodgers' bullpen, and they go four and a third, six strikeouts, no walks. They only allow one hit. It was the Franco home run off of Kenley Jensen in the ninth. And, uh, you know, that also magnifies the shortcomings of the bullpen. You know, maybe the bullpen wasn't so terrible tonight, but when you can't add on in the, over the final four-plus innings, that's going to that's going to put a little bit of a microscope on on your offense's inability to tack on runs late. No, you're, everything you said was spot on, but I, I want to ask you something else. And, and this is, you know, you, you know how I get because I get very, I get very antsy at some decisions made by coaches. And I don't want to. I don't want to make this a Gabe Kapler thing because I don't necessarily think it's a Gabe thing. I think it's the entire organization. It includes upstairs. It includes the bench coaches. It includes the the numbers crunchers. It includes you know all the analytics people. So they're, they're all they're all kind of this is an all encompassing thing. Sir Anthony Dominguez, like you mentioned, was not good tonight, but he gets out of this if there's a shortstop playing shortstop against Jock Peterson. No? That base hit is a is a tailor-made double play. So he walks Verdugo to lead off the inning, all right? And which, which was a good at bat by Verdugo, to be honest with you. It was he worked a full count and then um Dominguez just misses. And then um Peterson comes up second and they have this big shift on and Peterson hits the ball, a ground ball, two hopper, to nobody, but if the shortstop was anywhere close to the left side of the bag, it's a tailor-made double play. And then we're not talking about Dominguez having a blow-up inning. We're talking about okay, we probably went extra innings. Let's see what happens. Does that so? Is it, does that kind of fit into the whole? This is a this team is bad at def- defensively, 
or is it or is it is it something where you sit there and say, "Geez, maybe the the defensive metrics are look worse because of plays like that, because of situations like that." I do wonder what impact the shift has on their on their defense in terms of just even comfort. You know, I'm standing in a place I'm not accustomed to standing in. Does that have any impact on their ability to play play the ball? Um, I, I'm I gotta disagree with you a little bit on the, on the Peterson bat at uh, bat. I just Dominguez got ahead of him two one, and he was throwing everything at him. He went. I'll just read you the sequence: four seam fastball foul, changeup foul, fastball foul, slider foul. I mean, Dominguez went after him with everything he had, and Peterson just kind of kept hanging in there, hanging in there, hanging in there. And I actually thought, I, I thought he put a pretty good swing on that ball. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm. If if they were playing it in a normal defensive alignment, perhaps that's at someone. But I actually thought Peterson put a pretty decent swing on that, and I don't have the exit velocity of the of the contact in front of me or anything like that. But I I thought that was a pr- pretty solid knock by Peterson in that spot. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I just no, I just I just it was everybody in our section. I had two Dodgers fans sitting right behind me, and they were they even said, "Wow, we got we got lucky there." And I, I kind of felt like the people in my section kind of felt the same way. Like, geez, if they just had – it it wasn't right up the middle, nor was it into where the shortstop normally is. So this is what this is where my argument is, is that I don't have a problem with the shift. I just think the Phillies overshift. Do you see what I'm saying? I think right. that they – I think putting three guys on the same side of the infield takes – it's like you don't – they had they should have better range. Your fielder should have better range. You, you want to shift – a guy towards you know the second base bag. You want to put the shortstop kind of you know closer to the second base bag or behind the bag a little bit because a guy tends to pull the ball more. Fine, I'm okay with that. I'm totally okay with that. I just don't get the three or four in some instances infielders on the same side of the infield. It doesn't. You, you your your infielder should be able to field a ball over there when you have that you know when you have that much space or don't have that much space. So if you put a guy. If the shortstop's playing behind the bag or just to the left of the bag, that ball hit by Peterson is the play is made. And and maybe it's not tailor-made if you're shifting a little bit, but you're at least getting the lead runner at the very least. Um, and maybe it, and maybe if you're playing a little further to the left, it's a tailor-made double play. So that's the thing that I'm saying. Like I, I just wish they wouldn't overcommit to the shift because they're doing everything – by by the book based on numbers and i just it's just there's no feel and to your there's point no, i mean sports info you know, solutions comes out periodically and they talk about runs saved by the shift and it has cost the phillies this year it has worked to their detriment overall and they are the worst team in baseball when it comes to saving runs via the shift and that's well documented so there is something to be said for your point here i don't know if i agree with it in this particular instance but you aren't wrong i mean clearly the over-reliance on the shift has had a negative impact on their ability to prevent runs from scoring this season that's the bottom line so you cannot argue with that i guess i guess as i watch these games and i take them in and i don't know if this is my evolution as as an observer of baseball but i've really started to take more off of the manager and this coaching staff, and I, I tend to kind of put it more on the players. And when I see this offense struggle the way that it does with runners in scoring position or their inability to, with, with the exception of tonight, really generate extra base hits on a consistent basis, slug the ball with authority, when I see the, the bullpen go through these these 
insane ups and downs with all this volatility in their performance. I go, I, I don't know. You throw in a couple of injuries here and there, and I go, it's amazing to me. And whether it's Gabe Kapler's fault or if they're doing this in spite of him, I go, this team's in first place somehow, defying logic. And I just, I don't, I can't bring myself to get crazy over Gabe Kapler's defensive shifts and how he's utilizing the bullpen because I feel like this team is still out ahead of where they should be. And well, I if think they were if they were a 500 team, and I felt like, damn, this team has all the talent in the world. This could be a first place team, and they were sitting five, six, seven games back right now. I'd probably feel a little bit differently about it. So I don't know. I just I don't I can't believe this team's in first place, Anthony. I really can't. Yeah, no, I can't either. And and I and I think I've kind of changed the angle of my frustration because at the beginning of the year it was all about the manager. And I still don't like things that the manager does, but I don't blame them. To me, this is organizational, because if it was if it wasn't organizational, they'd do something about it. Yeah, if they'd be was, in his ear by now. They'd say, "Hey, right? listen, dude, you know this this is not working. We don't want to see this anymore. Figure it out." Because right. I think that you and I had kind of speculated, uh, you know, earlier in the year when when he was so extreme with how he used the bullpen, it, it was kind of like. Hey, coming from upstairs, yeah. like you need to, you need to kind of rein this in a little bit. This is this is out been, of control. He's been better with the bullpen, yeah, I, sure. I, I mean, usage wise, I mean, I yeah. there are a couple instances here and there. Where I'm like, well, why are you doing this? But at the same time, that happens in a 162 game season all the time. I mean, you're never going to completely agree with the manager ever. And so if if I find that I, you know, there's a handful of times that I disagree with the manager, so I disagree with the manager a handful of times. Big deal, right? I'm, doesn't mean I'm always right. Doesn't mean he's always right. It's but that's just part of the game. But this is a situation where I'm watching game in and game out, and it's not just the Phillies. I'll give you another example. I don't know if you saw the highlight from tonight, the uh, end of the Yan- the way the Yankees lost to the Rays. Now everybody's going to be talking about it because Gary Sanchez hits has bases up with bases loaded. They're down by a run and two outs, and he hits a uh, ground ball up the middle. Um, the, I don't know who was on first, but whoever the runner was on first beats the throw, the little flip to second. Okay, so there's no so there's no f- out at second. But Sanchez was loafing coming out of the box as he figured that there was going to be an out at second, and there wasn't. He was safe, and then they throw to first, and they get Sanchez, and the game ends, and the Yankees don't tie the game. So everybody's going to be talking about that tomorrow. But if you watch the replay, get it, take a minute when, when, this, when we're done recording and watch the replay of the play. The Rays are in a crazy shift, and what should be a routine play is really awkward looking because the second baseman flips it to the flips the ball to the shortstop. He's three steps away from the bag. He hits the bag with the wrong foot. Has to make this awkward turn to try and throw to second. I mean, to throw to first. And yeah, he gets Sanchez, but only because he wasn't running. And it's just sitting there saying to myself, "My God." Why does everybody look like they don't know what they're doing all of a sudden? Why do these guys look like little leaguers out in the field, like running the wrong way? And it's all because of where they're positioned. It's just so strange and awkward looking. So it's not just the Phillies. It's certainly not. And I can't sit here and blame Gabe Kapler or blame the coaching staff. This is an organizational mantra that they are believing in, and they feel like it will work. And I think that they do because everyone else is doing the same thing. So eventually, somebody's going to look at it and say, okay, what, what, if we have 30 teams that are all doing the same thing, right, what's the, what's the one thing that's working that, some, you know, that one team's doing that nobody else is doing? Like what, and you got to find that. And that's what, the, that's what the, the challenge is amongst these people. But they're all going to be copycats, and they're all going to do the same thing until somebody tells them otherwise. And that's, just, that's, just, that's what the frustration is for me. 
And it's frustrating because my team has a chance to be better, and I don't think that they are because I think that they're following like lemmings, following everybody else off the cliff. Uh, speaking of frustration, let me just let me just ask you this: If you were the manager of the Phillies uh, and and you were in this position, and you said, you know, I I need to uh, send up a pinch hitter. Uh, I think I will send up uh, Trevor Plouffe or Mitch Walding or Jesmuel Valentin or the backup catcher, which this team hits its backup catcher, I think, more than any team I've ever seen in my life. They're not really supposed to do that, uh, but they play with a short bench, so they kind of roll the dice on that choice. one. I mean, could you imagine? Like, that's what they entered. I, no. I know that I know that Plouffe uh, started tonight, so I know that it ended up being Cesar Hernandez on the bench, but you imagine just rolling into a, a normal game here uh, with a backup catcher Valentin Plouffe and Walding is your bench options and you talk about where this team's at and how they're winning in spite of the fact that the catchers you know can't catch the ball and that their defense can't catch the ball and they don't make contact consistently and and all of these other flaws that they have but then you look at the bench and you can kind of sweep the bench under the rug a little bit because you don't have to look at them day in day out you know for extended periods but my God, you know, I say this with no hyperbole. This has to be the worst bench of a first place team in the history of Major League Baseball. <laughs> I mean, they are an abomination. Between Valentin Plouffe and uh, Walding, they entered today's or tonight's game hitting 165 on, on the season combined with one home run. There is no pop. You cannot play matchup with them. There is not a one thing that they do exceedingly well as a group. I mean, it is it is slim pickings, man. And I know that they finally sent down Aaron Altair after the game uh, on Sunday night. That was long overdue. He's hitting 171 this season, 595 OPS. He needs consistent at-bats in Lehigh Valley to just see if something, anything clicks down there and it, to see if he can kind of regain the form that made him such a promising player a year ago. I, I don't think that that's going to happen, uh, to, to be perfectly honest with you. But where this bench is at right now, it's going to be very difficult for this team to navigate tie games late, uh, games where they're trailing by one or two runs and they need a bat off the bench. I mean, there's just zero options for this manager right now. Yeah, there, there really are. There really are. And, again, that, that goes upstairs to, to Clentac and his – and his people, although just to defend the – they use their backup catcher more than anybody else in baseball. The advantage I think that the Phillies have that most teams don't is that at the very least, um, if you needed to, Carlos Santana could catch because he was a catcher before. Um, so I think that I think that it's – you know, you sit there if you're Kapler and say, all right, Andrew Knapp is like the best guy I got on the bench. I got to use him in a pinch-hitting situation – you know, and then <laughs> listen, I know that Andrew Knapp over the last like three, four weeks has has actually been probably the Phillies best offensive player in terms of pure numbers across the board. Um, but my God, I mean, listen to what you just said. I, I have to I go to Andrew Knapp because he's my best offensive option. Oh, off the it, I mean, they need, they need to improve the bench. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. And, you know, the question is, is I mean, and all in all honesty, and, and this is what I'm going to say, um, because. And I, and I don't think that you're, you're too different in this mindset. I look around the National League, and while it would be exciting for the Phillies to be in the playoffs, I'm not sure that there is a team that is currently really competing for the playoffs with maybe the exception of Colorado. Uh, I guess you could say St. Louis. or They're a, they're a 500 team. Um, 
maybe those two teams. With those exceptions, I don't think there's a team in the National League who if the Phillies match up with them in the playoffs as they as they're they're currently constructed, they could beat in a five game series. I just Arizona, don't. you know, Arizona's in it and and they don't hit. Um, so I mean, maybe, maybe. Arizona, uh, maybe yeah. I don't know. I. Uh, you got to beat Granky twice. Yeah, and I, and I don't want <laughs> to. You know what I'm saying? So. I, I feel like we are so far away from that right now. No, no, but um, so, that, so but what, the, the point I was going to make, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but the no. point I was going to make with that is because I feel that way, I don't think that they should be too gung-ho about making a lot of additions here at the deadline in this next week other than small additions that maybe could help the bench and not cost you anything. So, you know, I know that when we were talking before the game, I'm I wasn't I'm not a big fan of the Curtis Granderson idea. I just think it makes you too you're too left-handed, you know, as far as your outfielders are concerned. Um, he can he really can't hit lefties. I think he's hitting 111 against lefties this year. Um, but he does take pitch. He fits the mold as far as he's gets he's an on-base guy, right? And maybe with a little bit of pop. And he's a free agent at the end of the year. Probably isn't going to cost you Squata to get him from Toronto you know so if you're going to use him as a bench player I'm okay with it but if you think you're going to use him to start two three games a week in place of Nick Williams no I don't want to do that you know what I'm saying so that's not what I want you know but I'm if you're going to add him as a bench bat okay fine if you want to get bench pieces that can really make this you know situational batting a little bit better I'm okay with that I'm not okay going out and just and trading for players to, because you think you can make a run, because this team can't, and and that's what I'm saying to you. I, in my mind, they can't make a run this year. All right, so l- let me let me pause there, and and so let's just let's kind of take a deep breath here. So we just spent a, a half hour, and and I think I kind of led the charge on this, being very negative about what we what we saw tonight, and kind of I think really the overall state of of where this team is, and if it stays constructed as it currently is it is not likely that they're going to reach the postseason. And you and I both seem to agree on that. Let's talk about, and and I know that this is kind of where you're going, and in a second let's kind of talk about where they need to improve or who specifically they can look at to improve. But before we do that, I just one, let me just give you this one thing on Granderson. You're absolutely right. He's a guy that cannot hit left-handed pitching anymore. Uh, he actually, in all fairness, Toronto doesn't even allow him to. They don't even let him try. Uh, he only has 18 at-bats against lefties this year. He's only two for 18. Um, so he's hitting 111 on the season with a 440 OPS. However, uh, against right-handers, he, he does have some pop. He has nine home runs in, in 217 at-bats this year, um, 781 OPS against right-handers. Let me just ask you this. Um, you're right, he's cheap. One-year deal, $5 million. So he's not really going to cost a lot in terms of dollars, and I don't think Toronto really values him at this point where they're at in the standings. He's played in the postseason seven times, and he's played a collective 57 playoff games. Um, does that matter on a team that has such yeah. little experience? I, I, I'm okay. You know, I'm okay. that's, yeah, that's I, one I, thing that I kind of look I'm at okay and say, that. all right, well, yeah, I know he's not a great player. I mean, hell, at this point, you could, you could dust off Greg Dobbs, 40-year-old Greg Dobbs who hasn't played since, what, 2014 and said, hey, dude, you want to hit righties for us right now because we've got nothing. I mean, he honestly – I'm not even trying to be funny. He'd probably be an upgrade to their bench at this point. Um, you know, so I look at Curtis Granderson. I say, oh, hell, it can't get any worse. So he's going to provide some, some – 
some value that way. He is an upgrade. He can hit righties. He does have experience, and he's not going to cost you a lot. So, like, do I do I love the move? Do I go out and say this is this is the game changer? Hell no. But I, I don't know. I think that this is the type of tweak this team has to make. Yes, it's the type of tweak it has to make. I'm not. I'm just not convinced. It's the right player. That that's all. I just think. I mean, and, and, I, and I'm not. Don't ask me to come up with a name off the top of my head right. because I'm no, not going to. I'm not going to be able to do it. But I would rather you find another veteran guy who's kind of floating around out there, who would be a nice person to bring in for this young team, who you could put on the bench, who can give you a little bit more, maybe both ways, righty or lefty, or. Uh, or against a righty or a lefty, or at the very least is a right-handed bat that can play in the outfield because you don't have any. I mean, you got Hoskins, the only one. When you, so all of a sudden, if you get into if you get into a playoff series against the Dodgers, and now you got to face Kershaw, yeah. <laughs> right? What are you yeah. doing? Yeah, you know, so, you see what I'm saying. So I mean, it'd be nice to have that other option. And I know that they wanted Altair to be that, and obviously he wasn't. And he's now been sent down, and he'll be back because you know rosters expand September first. And I think that they'll probably say, "Let's see what he can do for a month against AAA. Maybe he gets his confidence back and gets a swing back, and all of a sudden he could be a guy again." I know Roman Quinn is now finally healthy, and you know he's playing at Double A, and I think that they they look at him as a potential guy as a call up late in the season to be a defensive replacement, base for pinch runner kind of thing. Um, so I mean, there's those kinds of in house. Uh, players, but if you want to make a change and, and add somebody, you find, that's what you got to look for. Um, and, and to me, that's that's a good place to start. You know, there's other, there's so many other rumors floating around out there that I, I'm not a huge fan of. And again, it all it all centers around replacing Kingery at shortstop. Yeah, uh, you beat me to it. So uh, to me, there's there's three things that have to happen. You have to add that bench piece. You have to add a bullpen arm, especially with Eddie Bray Ramos now out. Uh, who knows how long that's going to be. That might be a two-week thing. It could be a month thing. They need another arm in that bullpen now. We've talked yeah. about this several times over the past few weeks. Uh, now more than ever, I believe that. And then you, you beat me to it. You have got to get Scott Kingery out of this lineup. And I, I don't want to sound takey. I don't want to sound um, like I'm trying to be overly hard on this guy. I, I understand all of the contextual factors that have worked against him this season. But the bottom line is, at this point, over 330 at-bats into this season, he has a 277 on-base percentage. That is, I believe, I believe second worst in the National League. Um, and a 608 OPS. He's only hitting 234. He provides no pop. He has not homered since June 29th. Um, he does not walk. He has no pitch recognition. He's hitting under 200 against sliders and change-ups. He's diving after everything. He's out in front of everything. He is an automatic out uh, in most scenarios right now. Uh, they have got to get him out of the everyday lineup. And I don't know if that's Eduardo Escobar. I don't know if that's Asdrubal Cabrera. I don't know if they need to shift infielders around to do this. I know that none of these names exa- don't exactly uh, you know, evoke a ton of confidence or, or really get you fired up the way that Manny Machado did. But... Um, they will be better if his bat comes out of the everyday lineup. And I don't want to bury the kid. Uh, I, I, I still have confidence in him long term, but you, you just can't do this anymore. It's, it's crazy. 
Um, and, and I think that that's going to be the biggest thing. And, and I almost am I'm reluctant to talk about certain names. Like, I don't want to get into the merits of Esdrubal Cabrero and, and yeah. Eduardo Escobar at this point because we did this last week with Manny Machado. And, I mean, when we signed off here, I feel like you're, we're, we're both pretty measured people. I, I think we both kind of felt like this thing looks like it might go down, you know, when we recorded late Monday afternoon. And by yeah, the time you- we woke up Tuesday – you know, his ass was headed to L.A. So I don't want to waste 45 minutes speculating about names and whatnot, but I think that we agree that, that Scott Kingery has to come out of the lineup at this point. Yeah, not only do I think he has to come out of the lineup, I think Scott Kingery, like Aaron Altair, needs to be sent down, but the problem is they don't have anybody to call up that's a position player. Um, that's why Mitch Walding is on the bench again. <sighs> By the way, he's now had 15 plate appearances in Major League Baseball Okay, after tonight. 13 of them have been actual at-bats because he did walk twice. 13 at-bats, struck out 10 times, one double play, one pop-up, one ground out. <laughs> that and, is so and, sad. It is so it's like you, you feel bad for the guy. Like You, you can't be mad at Mitch Walding. Just, no, exactly. Mitch Walding is, is being asked to play Major League Baseball right now, and he is not a Major League Baseball player. He is posing as one because the general manager has left this roster woefully thin. Uh, and, and that's the bottom line, and that's, that's really all there is to it. To ask Mitch Walding to come up and, and produce is, is insane. I mean, if this team was, was better stocked in terms of depth, this, this would not be a thing at this point. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a shame. I mean, it just kind of lets you know where they're at. Yeah. Um, I, I mean- Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, so, you know, you look at a guy like Escobar, who's having a nice year, and he was um, pulled out of the game today. So I don't know if that means anything or if it just, you know, it's just a managerial decision. Um, But it's rare that you pull a guy out of the lineup who's (laughs) leading the majors in doubles, right? I mean, um, but Escobar really doesn't play a lot of shortstop. I mean, he's been mostly a third baseman. Um, this year for the Twins, um, he's uh, had only started 19 games at shortstop, 65 uh, at third base and one at second base. Um, and he really hasn't been much of a shortstop. He hasn't been a regular shortstop for a few years now, not since uh, 16. Um, so the last two years he's been a primarily a third baseman. And the reason is is because he's just not a, not a good fielding shortstop. Um, so I don't know, if, you know, obviously his bat would play. Right, I mean, he's hitting two seventy two, uh, three thirty two on base, eight thirty six OPS. He's also got fourteen home runs to go with those thirty six doubles that lead the majors. Um, so there's that, right? So the bat plays, but he's just, you know, God, it, it, it's not, it, it's not going to improve over Kingery defensively. And Eduardo and I, Escobar to save the season. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like uh, that's that's where we're at. This is the problem with not getting Manny Machado, and I don't want to spend any more of our airtime talking about him in particular and how they missed out on him or or any of that stuff. But this really was the plight ahead of of the Machado deal, and this is why I kind of thought, well, maybe you do roll the dice because he was the one guy that could could absolutely come in and be the difference maker. Now. You're relying on your front office to to find some bargain deals, value deals. Uh, maybe you, you buy a little bit low and, and hope that they're going to exceed expectations, or you're taking chances on guys like Cabrera, Escobar, uh, and 
I mean, none of these none of these names are particularly appetizing, in my opinion. But I, I do think that it'll be necessary that they gamble on someone um, to, in order to remove that bat, um, and that's that's really what they're looking at right well, now, and that's really so, their only hope. Well, so if you mention a guy like Cabrera, right? And Cabrera hasn't played shortstop at all this year, at all, just second base for the Mets. Um, he intrigues me a little bit because he's got. I think he's got a little bit more uh, power. Um, than Escobar does, although Escobar's and they're on base is very similar, batting average is very similar. Um, like I said, Escobar's got the m- more doubles. But what would you consider if you traded? If you got if you brought in a Cabrera, would you consider playing Cabrera at second and moving Cesar Hernandez to shortstop? Yeah, I just don't really think that they are. It's it's not like the defensive production that they're getting currently is is so so good that you wouldn't be willing to to take a chance on someone that can improve your offense. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, well, you know, listen, we have this this gold glove shortstop and we're just going to live with the poor offense because, I mean, they're getting at best average defense out of Kingery, a- average defense. And when you consider the offensive production that goes with it, I think that I'd be willing to roll the dice and play a guy out of position at shortstop. They're already doing it. I don't think it, it, it's going to be markedly worse than what they're getting right now. And when you look at the, the payoff that potentially exists by slotting Hernandez over or going out and maybe playing one of these guys that, that is more of a second baseman or a third baseman at this point as opposed to a shortstop, I think that that's a risk that I would be willing to take. You know, you talk about value at the margins. That's one of the messages the Phillies sold over the offseason and how they were going to kind of, you know, leave no stone unturned and, and look for value plays here. Well, this might be a time where they have to get a little bit creative. Um, this, this front office is not gone out and been able to add the obvious name so far uh, at the trade deadline or leading up to the trade deadline. And it doesn't appear that they're going to do that. You know, Zach Britton is really the one guy that, that remains out there that they've been connected to. And I, I just don't, I guess I don't foresee that happening at this point for whatever that's worth. So now they're going to have to get a little bit savvy. They're going to have to take this in a little bit of a different direction. And, and I'm very intrigued by their ability, or will they be able to do this? And I think that that now becomes the major question. Can this front office identify value-type players to to kind of fortify this thing on the edges if they're not going to be able to go out and get that one big-time difference maker? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, again, I guess I'm not – look, I'm not somebody who's sitting here and saying, well, you shouldn't – you shouldn't make a trade for somebody because they're you know it all hurt the defense. Like I, I'm not as big I'm not as big a defensive guy as as I'm making myself out to be by saying these things. I, I think I'm almost kind of playing devil's advocate a little bit. Um, and, you know the Phillies have also been t- tied to Whit Merrifield, for example, who who can be a you know a utility you know Swiss Army knife type of player. Can't he's never played shortstop at least not the major league level, but he does play first, second, third, left, and right. So. You know, maybe there are some stuff that you can maneuver around. Maybe J.P. Crawford plays shortstop. Maybe Hernandez can play some shortstop and you play Merrifield at second. Who knows? I mean, there's so many different potential things if, if that's a name that can, that can work out for the Phillies to acquire. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I don't know how, you know, I, I'm curious to see the direction that they go in. I, you know, obviously don't know, you know what they're thinking uh, is at this point. Um, I do think that they need to send – Scott Kingry down 
to AAA for a month and let him figure it back out again. I you think that's going to happen? I mean, I think that I think most no. people listening to this would say, "Yeah, I, I agree with you," and no. I, I sure as hell do. I mean, I certainly agree with you on this front. I just I don't think that's going to happen. I don't either. I actually I, think I it's more likely that he's going to just continue to play every day, and whatever happens, happens. You know, and at the end of the season, they're going to say, "Well, you know, that was valuable experience," and and though he wasn't ultra productive, and we may have felt, you know, we might have fallen short in, in our pursuit of the postseason, they'll never place the blame on him but I do think that I think that they are going to roll with him at this point it's starting to really look like that now that could all change with with one trade but I think it's more likely that he he continues to play every day than it is that he ends up in Lehigh Valley playing every day yeah uh I think that you're right but I'm not sitting here saying that you, you you just give up on Kingery for the season um I'm just basically saying for well, August, yeah. I yeah. mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna make a move for somebody who's going to end up playing every day in the infield, and, and whatever the you know machinations are between second base, shortstop, and third base, however you're going to make it work, um, fine. But if that's what you're going to do, if you're going to go make a move for an Escobar, Cabrera, Merrifield, whatever, then I don't think that you help Scott Kingery by put, making him a bench player. I don't think he, he, there's any benefit to that, um, I, at least not right away. I mean, could he potentially be a guy that you have coming off the bench in the playoffs who, because he can play multiple positions, he can, he's a good bunner, he can, he's a good base runner, that kind of thing? Okay, maybe I could kind of, you know, I could see that, but I don't see it, you know, right off the bat. So maybe what you do is you say, here's a chance we have for a month, just go down, back down to AAA. Get yourself right. Come back up on September 1st. We have the opportunity to play you some then, and we'll see. Has it, have you, you know, course corrected? If you have, great. Then you, become that, then you become that utility player that we kind of envisioned you at the beginning of the year to be and can you know, play four or five games a week down the stretch in any one of five or six different positions. Um, or if not, if you haven't fixed it, then we figure out where, where you fit in. You know, do you fit in as the 25th man for the playoff roster uh, or do you not, you know, are you not on that playoff roster? Are you, you know, that is that it? And we, you know, go back to you next spring. So I think that, you know, that would be the best thing, but I don't think they're going to do it. I really don't. I really think they're just going to keep them on the roster and they may not play them regularly. And, but they're, they're just going to keep them there because they're paying him big money and they think it'll be better for him to play, you know, be up around a playoff race with his teammates and everything. And I don't necessarily know if it's the right thing to do. So, you know, and I agree my, with your premise that they should not go all in. I also don't think that there's a guy out there for them to go all in on at this point. You know, there's not that guy that's going to command your second, third, and eighth overall prospects to get a deal done, unless there's some complete mystery man out there that, that nobody's talking about. But there's not an obvious big name trade acquisition that this team can make that makes a ton of sense for them. At this point, I do think, however, though, you you can't just make one or two under the radar deals. I think that you really actually have to go out there and add a a bat to this lineup, someone that you can play every day. And I think that, though, I I certainly wouldn't trade, you know, I I guess my prospect depth. I wouldn't go out there and use a, a vast amount of my minor league resources to do this deal. I think it almost sends the wrong message. I mean, I really do think that there's something to be said for the 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 psychological aspect of this, the morale aspect of this, if you just let this team kind of 
sink or swim. You say, hey, you got us this far. We'll see what you guys are made of. And then maybe over the offseason, we'll figure out how we want to add to this thing. I just think that that sends the wrong message. You know, and you come out and you talk about this team is trying to make the postseason. Gabe Kapler says it's NL East or bust. And okay, that's fine. You, you put that message out there. And you talked earlier in the show about this team dictating and this organization dictating the message to the media and how the fans are supposed to feel about this thing. Well, they've done some talking and they've put themselves in this position. And I think it would be extraordinarily unfortunate if they just make a bullpen acquisition and a a Curtis Granderson deal and call it a day and and take their chances. I I don't know that, and I understand realistically that this is not a a World Series team. I think we understand that they are not of the caliber of the the Chicago Cubs or the Los Angeles Dodgers. Fine. But I think you got to try a little bit. There is a fine line that they have to walk here. And I think if they don't do anything at all, then that's, that's going to – I don't think that's going to sit well with the fans. But more importantly, I don't know how well that's going to sit with the guys in that clubhouse. No, I, I, think, you're, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, it, it's a t- Phillies are in a tough spot. They're really in a tough spot because I, I think that there's outside pressure um, to make, make the moves that you need to make because you're in the race right now. Um, and there's inside pressure to sit there and say, you know, self-evaluate and, and be able to admit, you know what, we're in a good spot right now. This is really kind of cool, kind of unexpected. But we, we know in our heart of hearts, as competitive as we are and we want to win, we know in our heart of hearts that we're not there yet. Um, so we, we also don't want to take it too far. We also don't want to make too too many moves or you know hurt our future because we're making a run for it too soon. Okay, so I think that they they find themselves in a in a real sticky spot, and they have to make a determination where you know as to what they can do. And that's why I think my suggestion is you know try and find that middle ground where we're not overdoing it, but we're also not leaving the current team in the lurch and saying that nah, just go at it yourselves so they you know do something that they can do really cheap and not you know cost you much of anything uh and try and make tiny little tweaks and go at it with what you have this year and if you make the playoffs great and if you you know get in there that's awesome and you get some experience and then we worry about it next year um when when you're really a contender um so i think that that's kind of the way to go you know uh otherwise Otherwise, you're really, I don't know, are you, do you cater to the masses? Do you, no, you don't do cater you, to the masses, but I think that you need to make a reasonable attempt at, at trying to improve this roster to make a postseason push. I think that it would be an extremely valuable experience for this team not only to experience a, a pennant chase in October and September, or I'm sorry, in uh, August and September, I, I think it would be valuable for them to win it <laughs> too. You know, I think it's, it's yeah. one thing to say, well, you know, we got 35, 40,000 people showing up at the park. Now it's a shame that we played 10 games under 500 uh, over the last two months and fell way short of what we were trying to accomplish. I think that there's something to be said for getting that boost. And, and not to mention, there is a little bit of a kick in the ass you receive when you go out and you see that your front office is making moves, you know, oh, Hey, they went out, they got us a bench piece. They got us a bullpen arm. They got that guy that we can play on the left side of the infield look at that they believe in us you know and all of a sudden you kind of have a little bit more pep and and you may think that and and I don't know where you stand on this but a lot of people might say oh that's bogus you know you are what you are but there is a jolt that you receive from that and that can have an impact and I I do think that making the postseason can have an impact moving into next year as well I I do think that there can be a carryover yeah that for sure can be a carryover but the question is 
how much of an impact does you know one or two players at the trade deadline really make beyond you know the first week or so no and you're right and that's the question this front office is going to have to answer over the next week i mean it's just it's that simple you know they're going to have to decide what do they want this to look like for the next you know 10 weeks the the final 10 weeks of the regular season um and then it'll be very interesting to see what they do with it now where are we at here? We're 55 minutes in. We're pushing 1.14 a.m. <laughs> this is awesome. Please. All right. So I, I want to just hit a couple uh, a, a quick topics for you here. And uh, okay. we, we didn't talk about this at the beginning of the show. And, and, and part of the reason we didn't is because I, I frankly do not care about it. But um, Chase Utley, you know, makes his return. Final series, we think, uh, barring a playoff appearance at Citizens Bank Park. Uh, what did you think about the crowd uh, reception uh, for Chase tonight? He got, he got a 50-second standing ovation, which was well-deserved. It was awesome. He gave a ta- hat tip to the fans, hat tip to the Phillies dugout, uh, to Kapler. Um, you know, uh, I think he said something as he was walking, stepping up to the plate to Alfaro. Uh, Zach Eflin stepped on the back, off the back of the mound, you know, tie a shoe or something like that. Um, really kind of, they, the Phillies did a nice job. They played cashmere for his walk-up music. Uh, they had all the old uh, videos playing and old pictures of Chase, and the crowd was into it, and they applauded everything he did. They applauded him when he came up to bat, and he hit the ball hard all four times. That yeah, he, came he almost went deep his first yeah. plate appearance, opposite field too. Yeah, uh, he, That thing was uh, about three or four feet short. Yeah, he hit the ball hard all four at bats, and they made you know the, the one hung up there a little bit too much, the one that Herrera caught, but uh, – Herrera made a great catch on him uh, in his second at bat, that diving catch in center field, took a hit away. Uh, Tommy Hunter actually made a nice play. Yeah, he did. Yeah, back him. up the middle, that, that yeah, thing but, might have had eyes too. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, like he, he had, you know, I, he was a little snake bit, uh, didn't get a hit, but um, it was good. It was good. He didn't really have any plays in the field. Uh, there was nothing really hit at him because uh, the Phillies either hit home runs or nothing. Um, and uh, so there wasn't really much, you know, Chase kind of became a secondary story in a lot of ways tonight. Even though I kind of thought we were going to be doing a lot of Chase and Machado, it really didn't turn out that way. Like, it, it really came, it, it, it came down to, you know, the, the same frustrations that we have. But it was kind of cool. I mean, 30, 30, we, we, you speculated as we were walking in. What do you, you said to me, Anthony, what do you think, 35,000 tonight? And it was almost that. It yeah, was just uh, thirty three and change, right? Yeah, just yeah. shy of that. And and that's not bad considering you know there was rain in the forecast. Um, there wasn't a guarantee that Chase was going to be in the lineup until I think three o'clock this afternoon. Um, so I'm sure they had a decent walk up. Um, so that wasn't bad. I mean, it was kind of cool. Now it wasn't a playoff atmosphere that some people are trying to tell you that it was. Yeah. Um, uh, this is what the crowd was like back in the, in the golden yeah. days. I, I didn't feel that at all. I actually thought no. that the crowd with the exception of their applause for Utley was utterly indifferent for the vast majority of this game tonight. Um, you know, we were there. This isn't like, well, I didn't hear it on my TV. I thought the crowd was often dead. Uh, it was actually kind of funny in the ninth inning, and, and I don't know about where you were, were at in the stadium, but um, it was uh, runners on first and second, and Machado's up, and uh, Dominguez gets Machado on strikes. A- at one point, it was just kind of like eerily silent, and some guy finally stood up and said, like, let's make some noise, and like <laughs> the crowds, the sections that I was uh, standing behind – finally kind of started to clap it up a little bit and make a little bit of noise. It was just strange. I felt like the crowd outside of Chase Utley, 
it didn't really have much juice tonight at all. So no, the it, whole it, it was a playoff atmosphere thing. I, I, I'll be honest, I just didn't see that. No, it, it wasn't that way at all. I mean, the, really, the only moment, I would say the only, well, two moments. The only two, you know, you had the Utley thing, which is great. But the only two moments that really the fans got excited was the back-to-back homers by yeah. Hoskins and, and Herrera. Outside of that, the fans were just kind of blah. I mean, they didn't really do much. They didn't cheer much. They didn't, you know, they weren't getting all that excited until, until I will say, I think that, you know, once you had, um, uh, you know, they were trying to get, they were trying to get behind um, Dominguez against um, Peterson. I, I thought that at bat, like, because like you had mentioned earlier, it was a long at bat. You know, kept fouling him off. You know, there was – I kind of felt like that was an, an at-bat that the fans were into. And the, but once Peterson got the hit, I kind of thought – Yeah, there wasn't a lot of anticipatory noise out of tonight. Balloon, it was all right? reactionary. Yeah, like yeah. you said, it was like the Hoskins home run, the, the Herrera home run. They made some noise after the fact. But there wasn't a lot of, of energy leading up to plays or critical spots, uh, I thought. Um, yeah. With that right. said, uh, let's jump to the next thing. Do we owe Vince Velasquez an apology? Not yet. You're not there not yet. yet. No, it's and he's done. He's done really well. I mean, you know, I think his his ERA since May first is like, if you take out that one game against was it the Nationals, he gave up ten runs. Uh, take, I believe it was the Brewers, a Friday night Brewers, against that's the, what Brewers. It was. It was the Brewers. Yes. It was the Brewers. Yeah. So if you take that one game out, I think his ERA is like two point two. Since May first, I mean it's really good. Yeah, with that in it, it's a three-four-one ERA. Uh, yeah. Opponents are hitting one ninety-one against him over seventy-one and a third innings pitch. His WHIP is one point zero seven, striking out ten and a half batters per nine innings. Uh, pretty damn good, man. Uh, he he really has been behind Aaron Nola over the last two months. Philly's most consistent starting pitcher. And yeah, isn't that something? I mean, you know, obviously Eflin went on his run, but he's, he's kind of crashed back to earth a little bit over the last couple starts. Um, I mean, he really has given the Phillies a big-time, big-time boost uh, over the last two months or so. So I'm kind of there with you, but this is definitely the most encouraging thing that we've seen from him to date. You know, you consider the last yeah. two times out, 13 innings pitched against two bad offenses in the Padres and Mets, but uh, no runs. He's had a no-hitter after five innings three different times this season. It looks like this guy is starting to turn the corner a little bit and reaching the point where you can say he's a viable middle-of-the-rotation guy, not just someone that you continually are you know, hoping and praying and projecting that finally he'll cash in on the talent. He's starting yeah. to do it on a more consistent basis now. So what, so what if I say to you my confidence in him at this point is kind of – akin to where I am with Michael Franco right now. Uh, you, you just led me right into the next one. I mean, uh, are, are you in on Michael Franco at this point? Does he deserve to be this team's third baseman uh, for the remainder of this season? And if he continues to play at this level, is this somebody that you look at? Because uh, this seemed impossible. I mean, you know, you, I'm going to ask this, and it seems obvious now. Well, of course, you know, of course, if he's going to play like this, he'll be the third baseman next year. But it, it seemed like a foregone conclusion a month ago that this guy was, was out of here. As soon as maybe this week. So where are we at with Mike Alfranco now? I'm okay. So here's the, my, what I look at with Franco. I'm good with him for the rest of this year. I don't think you need to replace him. I don't think you need to trade him and, and, and find somebody else. Like, I don't, you know, use him as, as some bait for something. No, I'm, I'm perfectly fine finishing out this year with Mike Alfranco as the third baseman. That said, you hope 
the rest that he keeps this up the rest of the way, finishes with a batting average around 280, finishes with an OPS around 800, gives you 25 to 30 home runs and maybe 85 RBI, has a nice season, and then he's of value to move in the offseason. You see what I'm saying? I, I don't know if we can trust Michael Franco moving forward. If you want this team to be a championship contending team as soon, almost as soon as next year because of the money that you have available and the, be able to chase the biggest name free agents that are out there, I think that you gotta, you've got to make room for people. If it's Machado, that's great. Um, and maybe Franco can get you something in return coming off of a pretty good season. So I'm on board with keeping him in the lineup and keeping him playing for the rest of the 2018 season. I'd be mildly disappointed if he was still on the roster come spring training 2019. Um, I think you can you can move on from him moving forward because I'm not convinced that this is going to be Michael Franco for the rest of his career. I think a lot of this is going to be determined by – and really I think – not just necessarily his own individual play, but by what by what this team really does over the last two months. I mean, last thirty games, he has a, a three thirty seven average uh, with a three ninety four on base percentage, seven home runs, six doubles. Uh, he's been he's been awesome, uh, and I, I think really he's a, a big reason why this team is still tied for the lead in the NL East. I mean, if you take his production, if he turns into that that six eighty OPS guy that he was. You know, for the beginning of the season and, and really what he was last year, this this team's in deep trouble. So, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens with him. I, I He's only 25 years old. I, I keep coming back to that. He'll be 26 at the end of August. And I just wonder, like, is it is this a situation in which we, we're not just getting a flash in the pan here. We're, we're actually seeing what we thought this guy was going to be all along. And um, I'll be – we'll see. I mean, he's going to have well, another one- 63 games to, to show it to us, we think. The one thing I can say in that, if you want to look at it from that side um, and, and say maybe maybe he is finally becoming what we thought, maybe what all he needed was to have the pressure off and to have the focus away from him. Because for the last three years, all he's been told is he's the future of the team. He's the, you know, he's going to be the guy that ushers in the new era. He's the first star that that, that, that is arriving. And you know, that's some guys don't deal well with that. Some guys just want to be, you know, Robin to to the Batman, right? And so maybe what maybe it was to a point where I mean, and it, look for us, it got to a point where it's like get him the hell out of here. But for maybe for Michael, he didn't see it that way, and he saw other guys coming in who were getting the you know the focus of attention and and how to you know they were going to be the stars like uh, Hoskins and Herrera. And everybody talking big time about Kingery and stuff like that, and Crawford's on the roster now, and Alfaro and Williams, all these names that you know, they kind of supplanted him as that next wave of players who are going to make the Phillies great again. Um, Maybe that's what he needed, and and if that's the case, and he flourishes in more of a support role than more than as a a uh, lead dog role as far as statistics go. Then maybe you say, okay, maybe this is we, we can get by with this at third base and and be happy with you know this kind of production year in and year out. Yeah, and I mean at the very least, I, I think we're approaching the the point now where if he can continue to do this over the, the final two months of the season, I mean he he at least reaches a point now where you say like, well, you know, this is something that we have to think about. I I, I mean I don't know. Do you? Tr- 
Or do you just say, you know what, screw it. We know that this guy has, he's under team control beyond this year, I think through 2021. I think his arbitration ends after the 2021 season. Do you just say like, he has to be attractive to somebody. Let's do it right now. Like, let's trade this guy right now. We don't, we don't think he's going to be this. Or, or do you revisit that with, with the same philosophy over the winter where you say, we can move him. We can actually get value back now for Mike Alfranco, and let's not roll the dice on him. We, we think that 2016, 2017 is more indicative of what he is than what we saw over the final three and a half months of this season. And I just think, and we, we can't answer that. We don't know that. But I think that this is now a question in play. The Phillies have to leverage this out. And I know we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but in light of the fact that he's sustaining this performance, this is, this is going to be a key question that this team must answer as they build this roster into its more complete, rounded out, competitive phases in 2019, 2020. So, no, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, you're, you're right. I mean, it, it's a, it's a wait. I think it's better to be a wait and see with him. Yeah, he is. But, uh, he's, he becomes a free agent ahead of the 2022 season. So, I mean, he's, he's going to be relatively cheap as he enters the arbitration years. Uh, there's definitely value there. So if the Phillies don't want him, somebody will, and uh, hopefully they can, they can get decent return on it. Um, if they decide to hold on to him beyond this week. Okay. Uh, what do you have? Uh, do you have a one last thing or was the one last thing that it's uh one in the morning and, and you're, you're ready to <laughs> wrap it up? I, I can't, I am ready to wrap it up cause it's one thirty. I know this, this marks. So I did when we did the, my, I did my, um, flyers podcast yesterday with Russ, I had to record at six thirty in the morning and now I'm recording with you at one thirty in the morning. It's getting ridiculous. Yeah. Um, uh, it's for the, the people. It's for the for listeners. The yeah. But I won't since it's for the listeners, I won't leave the listeners without a one last mm. thing. And this is gonna be, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, you know, get off my lawn, old man shouting at the cloud kind of thing again here. Um, I don't know if you saw the the story that was that took place in Cincinnati tonight. Um Cardinals called up that kid, Daniel Ponce de Leon. And if you remember the name, um, he's the kid that was hit in the temple uh, with a line drive uh, last year and had to be, you know, rushed off the field, had to have brain surgery. You know, there's a lot of talk that he would never play again. Well, he not only did he make it back, um, but they invited him to camp. And then he finally gets a call up to the major leagues. He's been pitching pretty well in AAA. And it's his first, it's his major league debut. And he has a no-hitter through seven innings. Uh, and he make, he was only the fifth pitcher to carry a no-hit through seven innings in his Major League debut in the expansion era. You know okay. the last guy to do it? Ross Stripling. <laughs> yes, Ross <laughs> Stripling. Right? Okay, Ross Stripling, okay. And then he gets, he gets pulled out of the game in the middle of a no-hitter. And the Cardinals not only give up a hit, but blow the game so he doesn't even get the win. The Reds come back and win off the bullpen 2-1. to one. And it's something like that that – and I know that his pitch count was high. It was at 116, right, when they pull him out. And I get it. I get it. You don't want pitchers thrown a lot. But when you have a situation like that, like, I want to let the – just let him go. And he gives up a hit, then you take him out. Like, have your bullpen guys ready. He gives up a walk, a hit, anything, you know, whatever – you know, if he's just let him go, he's not going to die <laughs> on the mound because he's throwing an extra 15, 20 pitches than he maybe should throw. OK, it's a no hitter in his major league debut. Please 
This is this is. They're so letting no, him roll into 140, 150 pitches to do it, huh? Well, I, if he's getting that, you see, here's the thing. I don't think he gets that high. Okay, I know he's got to go two more innings, right? And it, it could it could get to that could get that high. But the fact of the matter is, if he's throwing that many pitches, it's likely that the Reds are going to get a hit off of him, right? I, I mean, it's when you think about it. I don't know. I, I guess I guess he could get to like 150 potentially. Without really giving up, but I mean, yeah, maybe maybe if he like walks the bases loaded in the eighth inning or something like that. Okay, fine. You know, he's got nothing. You re- he's really got nothing left. But just let him try. Let him go for it. This we're talking about something that that's never been done before in Major League Baseball. This is a historic. And I'm just thinking uh, about Mike, this. This was uh, Mike Matheny's replacement, right? The interim yes. manager. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's a tough spot for that guy to be in. He's probably thinking, all right, I have this this guy coming up, making his mate. You know making a, a debut, we're having the type of season that we're having, I can't be responsible for something happening to this kid, right? Like, if you, yeah, that's the only thing. If this was more of an established manager that was five, six years in and had a little bit of uh, clout, I, I, could, I could see that. But could you imagine being, what, 10 days in to your managerial career? Yeah, and, Mike and, Schultz. Yeah, yeah, and you get this guy hurt out there after he's throwing 143 pitches for, you know, I, I get it. I hear you. Um I wonder how the the player felt about it. To what extent does it matter? He said all the right things. He said all the right things. What else is he going to say as a a guy making his major league debut? Um, I I hear you. I just think it's a tough spot for that manager to be in, that young into his career as an interim manager, and he has to make that decision. I don't know if you live with yourself if if he goes out there and ends up getting hurt. The the kid only needed two more outs for it to be the second longest no-hit start in baseball history. And then they go on to lose the game. That's just the kind of year that that team's having, though. I mean, right. that, that Cardinals team loop. is just – and that's fine. I'm okay with that. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I, sure. <laughs> sure. But, I mean, it's just, it's just you know, to me that's serendipitous that they lose the game because they didn't give him a chance to do something historic. You know, and that's what, that's what you know, I sit there and say, good. Good. You know, I feel bad for the kid. I want, you know, I'd love for him to get the win, especially after all he's been through. But what a story – this is the kid you know, almost may never pitch again a year ago after getting beamed in the head by a line drive, and here he is making his major league debut, and he's throwing a no-hitter. Yeah, and we're let like, him have yeah, the moment. Yeah. Take, yeah, take him out. I mean, seriously, that's the thing, and, that's, and that just drives me nuts, and it's just something that I, I don't think that, that people think about anymore. I, don't, I just don't think it's part of the game anymore. It's, just, it's, it's a lost part of the game, and, and it's really disappointing me. That's I'll tell you really what, on a separate note, that Reds team is uh... – I was going to say the same thing. I was just about to Phillies say. Phillies go out there this week, or this uh, this weekend, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're interesting to me all of a sudden. And yeah, they're only 12 games under 500 now. They're still last in the NL Central, but uh, they've been pretty good lately. And you watch the All-Star game last week, and you go, whoa, it's another Cincinnati Red. I mean, <laughs> they're, they had, I think, three or four guys uh, on that team. And so yeah. they're starting to turn it on a little bit there. You can kind of yeah, see, see the end of the road for them. You know, it's, it's yeah. coming yeah. out of the tunnel now. Yeah, it's an intriguing team, um, the, that Reds team. And it's, you know, you, they've never been able to really develop their pitchers. And I think that's been kind of their, their uh, Achilles heel um, for several years now. But, you know, what, you know earlier this year, they were, they, were, they were one of the worst teams in baseball. Didn't they get off to like a terrible start? They were like 5-20, and 20, yeah. I believe. So I mean they they were five and twenty they're now forty three and fifty six so what's that you know thirty eight and thirty six and since then 
it's not bad, you know. You know, I mean, it gets kind of lost in the shuffle because they got off to such a terrible start. Um, but yeah, I mean, they've they've played some they've played some good baseball. Although that said, I think they did lose their last uh, last four games before tonight. So they had a rough um, go of it uh, with the Pirates. It looks with like. the Pirates yeah. who are who are on fire. Um, yeah. But uh, but other than that, yeah, you're right. They've been they've been pretty good. They had what, like a seven game winning streak earlier in uh, in June and. Um, you know, they they took a series from the uh, from the Cubs, right? Or no, Cleveland. They took a series from Cleveland. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, there's some pieces there. They're they're not going to be. They're not going to. Let's put it this way: for the Phillies, that's not going to be an easy easy series. Nothing let's just say that. Nothing is easy for the Phillies right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. right. No, so yeah, I, I actually don't feel any better. Uh, I'm still. I'm, Still where I was at at the beginning of the show, but hey, we'll we'll try. We'll see what happens here at the remainder of the uh, this series against the Dodgers. They have Aaron Nola on the mound tomorrow, uh, looking to even things up, and then and hopefully they get to a rubber match on Wednesday afternoon in the matinee, which could be Chase Utley's final game at Citizens Bank Park. Unless you got anything else? You got anything unless else they, before we? Unless, yeah, be, yeah, yeah, the playoffs. Unless, yeah, the unless playoffs. they play in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah oh, just one little note about Utley um, pregame uh, media availability. He did a yeah, eighteen-minute press conference, which is so rare for Chase. Yeah, Chase was never a guy who liked to talk to the media, um, so he did an eighteen-minute press conference. And one of the questions he was asked was, you know, and you know, hey, we know you want to go spend time with your kids and stuff, blah blah blah. But uh, you know, you ever thought about getting into coaching and managing and stuff? And and he kind of said, "Well, I, I want to stay in the game in some way. I've been told, you know, I, that some that's a path I could take. Blah blah blah. We'll see where it goes." And then somebody else followed up and said, "Well, you know, what about being like a roving, you know, one of those roving instructors for the Phillies? Get come in during spring training, kind of thing." And he he basically said, without saying it, he basically said, "That's what he's going to do come March." So I I think that you might see Chase start to get involved with baseball again maybe not full-time in 2019 as a coach in some capacity but I think it's going to be within this organization I just get that feeling from the way that the conversation went tonight and the things that he said and the way that this organization treats him every time he comes back here and I, he does have a good relationship with Kapler there was remember there was a rumor at the beginning of the yeah, year before that they were signed with the Dodgers that mm-hmm. they were as a bench coach kind of thing I, I kind of get the sense. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get a Pat Burrell deal here, where yeah. he, you know, he was with the with the Phillies for the bulk of his career, goes out to San Francisco, and then works as a scout with them. You know, yeah. when, when he retires, I think that if Utley stays in baseball, it's it's reasonable to expect that he would he would come back here at this point. I I think so. I think he's going to be part of the Phillies franchise moving forward. Yeah. I just just a just a thought. It may not be in a big role in 2019, but I think that they're going to slowly work him back in. And you might, you know, we might be dealing with Chase on an, on another level, uh, not too in the not too distant future. All right, but that's it. That's yeah, all I got, all right. Bob. That's all. I, yeah, I'm right there with you. Why don't, all right, I, good. I don't want to uh, step on your uh, toes. I like the way that you shut it down. You're a little bit more smooth than I am, so I'm gonna I'm gonna let you do that today. Oh, you want me to close <laughs> yeah. out the? You, want you me to just close, close out the show? it out. Yep. Yeah, let's close out the show with a reminder that you should be tuning in to not just Crossed Up uh, here on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, but of all our pod, all, all of our podcasts. And how smooth was that? Right to get those words out in a row. Um, but you should be tuning in. I got a, a new Snow the Goalie Flyers podcast up with Russ Joy that we recorded. Like I said, at six thirty in the morning yesterday uh, on Sunday, uh, just went up. Um, don't talk a lot about hockey, but boy, we talk a lot about how the media 
works in hockey uh, and other sports as well. Uh, and it's getting a lot of really interesting feedback so far. So be sure to download that one, check that one out. Uh, also, there's the Crossing broadcast with Russ Joy and Kyle Scott. Uh, sometimes three days a week, sometimes two days a week. Uh, but it's supposed to be Monday, Wednesday, Friday, whenever Kyle decides to take part. And then we have our two soccer podcasts, uh, Crossing Broad FC, which they're finally going to catch up and uh, give you the, uh, the final takes on the World Cup um, and moving into the club seasons in Europe um, because Phil Kaidel was away on vacation. He's now back, so he, he and Russ will be doing that this weekend. Check that out on Saturday. Um, and then also uh, it's always soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid and David Ze- Dave Zeitlin uh, as they talk about your team, your town, your Philadelphia Union. <laughs> I think Kevin Kincaid <laughs> feels about the Union like uh, I do after some of these Phillies games. You know, <laughs> I know. I was, I was, I, I poked that bear a little bit when I. Poor we, Kevin. He's he made like that top twenty-five list um, that uh, we're, yeah. we're been talking about top twenty-five players in, in Philly, and so he, before he puts it out there, he wants to get all our opinions, and he sends it over, and I, you know, I chime in. And, uh, and at the very end, I give like a list of things that I would do differently on the list. And the last one was, what, no union players? <laughs> I think there was like two honorable mentions there. At the end. Yeah. yeah, which he threw in. But yeah, I think nobody cracked that, that top 25, though. <laughs> Yeah. But he was—I think he was salty that I said it. That's why he yeah. did it. He's like, I, yeah. I got two honorable mentions, and then I said, "Well, if you're going to put union players on the honorable mentions, yeah. you need to put these other players." Yeah, on you know, as he, well. he left uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez out of his top twenty-five. Maybe he—maybe he knew something. You know? Yeah, okay. maybe he did. Jason maybe Peters did. took that last spot. So that's right. That's right. So anyway, uh, those are the other uh, shows on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. Of course, we also crossed up. Uh, so find us wherever podcasts are downloadable uh, through iTunes or Google, Google Play, Play yeah, all Stitcher, stuff, yeah. all, those, all those great places. Get them on your phone and listen to us in your car to and from work every day. Uh, leave us a review. We love them. Reviews, five stars uh, as well. That's always good. Helps us get up the rankings, um, and uh, we love to hear from you. So once again, for Bob Wankel, I'm Anthony Sanfilippo telling you, Tune in again next week when we check back in with the fight and fills after this Dodger series and a weekend series in Cincinnati. And who knows, maybe we will have a new player or two in the pinstripes by the time we talk to you again next week. See you guys later.